welcome and thanks for tuning in to Real People, Real Talk. Relevant conversations that take you from surviving to thriving. This is the podcast that goes there. My name is Paul Calco and I'm your host. Now let's talk. Thanks for tuning in today and welcome to part two of Coming to America. We're continuing this international conversation with my friends from Nigeria, Mexico, and South Korea that currently live in the United States. Here's why you should continue listening. We're having an international conversation about culture, diversity, and unity. And in this episode, the participants go a little bit deeper and share about the struggles of coming to America. Now, we're going right back into the conversation and we're going to pick up where we left off. Enjoy. Hey, Paul, if you don't mind, if you don't mind me chiming in, uh, two things came to mind um, when you were talking to Matt. Um, there's a quote um, that's from a, a woman by the name of Verna Myers. She's a diversity and inclusion expert. Um, when you were talking about some of um, some of the friends of, I think, some of your classmates early on in your life. Um, so she said diversity is being invited to the party. Inclusion is being asked to dance. Right. You kept saying, like, they didn't say this, but you didn't really fit in, right? But again, if they're not asking you to dance, uh, is that an inclusive environment, right? So that's that's number one. And the second thing that you were talking about was when I came to this country, we were colonized by Brits. So we spoke Queen's English, which is what they were considered the high standard of English. American English is not real English. It's not the true English. It's not the Queen's English. They put me in English as a second language when I came to this country. I spoke proper English. I just had an accent. Wow. And they were telling me that I need to go to English as a second language to learn how to speak English. I said, I can teach you how to speak English, ma'am. <laughs> and if you want to talk about segregation and you want to be able to see immigrants all under one roof, that's the worst system I've ever seen. Because again, when you go to these junior high school and high school, they put all of us in one class. And that's one of the required class we must take. Remember we talked about assimilation? That's one of them. No, we don't like your English. You need to come here and learn the U.S. English and how we speak and the words we use. And they put all of us, right? Africans, Hispanics, folks from the Arab land. They put all of us in this one class, right? And then you see all these American students walking by and go, oh, look at those immigrants. Those guys are learning how to speak English, right? It's, it's just flawed. And that's just not the way it should be. We should be able to accept us for just who we are as long as you can comprehend us. As long as we are passing any standardized test you bring in front of us, why must we go to English as a second language class to learn how to speak the United States of America's English? That's it- funny because I think we all share the same experience. Um, same thing happened to me in undergrad where um, they told me that I had to be enrolled in a different English class than my boyfriend because I was an international student and I fought for myself, right? I stood up for myself and saying, I took honors and AP English since I was in middle school. Um, Tell me why I need to still take an international student specific English class. And then the English professor continued to tell me, you don't know what you don't know. And I said, well, would you like to speak to all of my English teachers from high school who taught me AP English? It was so bad. But thankfully, you know, I was able to get out of that. And I had a great experience being in a American's English class in undergrad freshman year. Um, but, yeah, it's funny that we all share the same experience. 
And I shouldn't have to say this, but I'm going to say this just to my white listeners. Just want to let you know, we're not mad at y'all. We're just simply sharing our story. And so I just want to let you guys know that. Um, so, yeah. And also, Annette, back to you. I got a question because um, so she was in the college hey, ministry. Paul, I think I, Paul, if you don't mind me jumping in again, I, I, again, I don't I, I'm glad that she put that out there. But I think I think for us to be better as society, we need to bring awareness to these things. Right. So it's not an anger thing. Right. We're all in this as one unit as one human body. Right. But there's a lot of people that just don't know. Right. And, and I think this is an opportunity for you guys to know from our perspective, not a second hand, not a third hand. This is a firsthand account of what we have seen and experienced in this country. Mm-hmm. So now when you know and you don't do the right thing, now you are now in the wrong. But before that, because you didn't know, maybe you might get a pass. But now, you know. Exactly. And Deja, I'm glad you brought that up because it's not an anger thing. It's just an awareness thing. And so I'm re- rewinded back to um, Annette. I know some of your friends from high school just because uh, I serve in the student ministry. But I'm just curious, like even maybe high school or even going back to middle school, did you feel like you had to, quote unquote, choose as in like, am I going to you know, be friends with my fellow um, Latino Americans? Or I don't know. Did you have to choose? Did you ever feel anything like that? Um, I think that middle school and high school, one, I tried to look and act and be associated with the same things that my white American classmates were. So I don't really think I've dealt with it as often as that. But to be transparent, when I started attending a certain church, it was very much like that, where I felt like I had to choose to be with the English life groups or to be with the bilingual life groups. And it was hard because whenever I was at the English life groups, I didn't feel they were asking me to dance. Right. Um, I felt like they were like, of course you can be here, but I would, I I felt like I had to like, like, Hey, like, can I sit with y'all? Like they would never be like, Oh, come sit with us. You know? And if they all started walking away, they wouldn't be like, come on, we're going this way. Like I'd have to like follow them around the little puppy. Um, and I hated feeling that way. So for some reason I wanted their acceptance, but I didn't feel welcome there. And so I did end up choosing to go with the bilingual life groups where of course I was welcomed, you know? Um, so yeah, there, there have been times in my life where I have to choose between being with the like white Americans or being with like my own like Hispanic um, Americans or just Hispanics. And thank you for um, your transparency and just as your college express, I saw that I feel like from the outside looking in, you did a good job of, and we're going to talk about this later, but like dancing in both worlds where you was active in our English stuff and you was active in our um, Spanish stuff. Hey, there was a really, really good uh, analogy in one of the podcasts that I was listening to. Um, referring to uh, racial minorities experience in a white church. And basically this pastor said, you know, it's like when you go to a bed and breakfast, they tell you, you know, make yourselves at home. You're welcome here, but you're going to go in there. You're not going to be moving furniture around or put your own kid's picture on the wall, but instead you're just there. You're just, there for a short amount of time, you're not quote unquote welcomed if you can't bring your stories to the table, right? And I think that's a huge problem in American 
church culture is that why does it have to be black church? Why does it have to be Korean American church? Why does it have to be white church, right? 11 o'clock is the most segregated hour uh, of uh, Sundays at 11 o'clock is the most segregated hour of the entire week. Why is that? Why can't we have more multicultural churches that embrace the diversity, not necessarily say, oh, Paul, you're the multicultural pastor because you happen to be only non-white staff on this uh, on this church staff, you know? We see kind of what this conversation is kind of veering, but there is a, and I think Desi was you that kind of alluded to this. There's a difference between like diversity and inclusion. Like some churches, they go for diversity, but they may settle for a picture that has multiple races in it. And they may just settle for a simulation. Like this is the way we do things here and not necessarily having like a seat at the table. Like I've been vocal with this, going to be more vocal with this. Like I don't just want, don't just want my black face, but be ready to also hear my black voice as well. But that's, that's a package deal. Um, and I lost some. I thought I'm edited. Dang, it was something good. Yeah, I mean, just just like everything else, though, Paul. Um, diversity is easy to measure, right? These are these are real easy measurable um, guidelines, right? That not only can you measure, but you can also post. And at the end of the day, it's a brand, right? It, it, it makes your brand look better when you say we have this yep. level of diversity or that level of diversity, right? But inclusion comes down to the intangibles that happens when no one else is looking, right? Inclusion is something you do for yourself and for the people that work for your organization, how they feel, right? There's no real measurement on that. It doesn't make your company look any sexier, but you should do it because it's the right thing to do. So when people aren't looking, what are you doing? Because diversity, everyone is looking at that, Paul. Everyone. Between the corporations I work in to the church you work in, everyone is looking. Nonprofit, for-profit, diversity is a big subject. And is a big measuring stick right now because no one is willing to do much business with you if you don't have some sort of a diversity measure. But inclusion is that other stuff that happens every day Paul goes to work, every day Pastor whatever so-and-so goes to work. How are they, how are they, how, what, what are their hours when they're in that, in, in that church or when they're in their office, what, what, what is the feeling that they get when they're in there? Do they feel like they're just invited to the party? Or someone asking them to dance as well. Do they feel like they can bring their whole self to, to work? Or do they need to tiptoe until they come home or they, until they come and play ball with their fellow brothers and sisters and go, I could be me now, right? It shouldn't be that. They should be them when they're at work and when they're outside of work playing ball. Nothing should change because you are hired for what you bring to the table. The diversity and the inclusion that you bring to the table, you should not have to change that. Because there is value in just you as you are. There's no need to change. Hashtag amen. Hashtag facts. Hashtag no cap. And man, thank you for that, Desi. And Sylvia, before we move on, just, and this may step on toes, but this is real people, real talk. God is faithful. God got my back. Um, there would be no term, the black church, if we wasn't kicked out in the first place. Like we wasn't even invited to the party. And there are certain denominations, um, including the Southern Baptist Convention, they're a whole um, separate denomination because back in the day, they wanted to keep their slaves. And that's something I had to come to terms with in seminary um, that I had to, to, to forgive them. And they apologized for it back in 95 and they're making um, 
um, every effort. Like, for example, love the church that I'm a part that I'm a part of, and just having conversations. And even like when when the things transpired over the summer, I like how our pastor. Um, in front of everybody, he was like, we want to know how you feel. And we're not, we're not asking you to speak on behalf of all the black people, but we want you to like to raise awareness. Like, what are some things that we may say that we don't even know is offensive? And so um, let's go even deeper, man. And some of you guys kind of alluded to this, but let's go deeper. Like, have any of you, it may be a duh answer, but have any of you ever experienced racism? Um, well, so thankfully, um, I immigrated to New Mexico when I came to the United States and the city I was in was pretty diverse in terms of race, a lot of Latino population there. And the school I was at too, um, there was good amount of racial diversity. Um, so I think it could have been worse, but thankfully I did not experience as much. Um, I do remember getting called like a chink, you know, growing up. Um, and you know, it's like uh, funny cause I'm not Chinese, but, um, you know, um, other things like, you know, it, it's not as bad. Like one time I was at the, this, um, Vietnamese restaurant having a meal with my family, no big deal. And then I'm walking to use the bathroom and then this, um, white older woman looks at me and she says, excuse me, could you bring me some more water, please? And I said, ma'am, I don't work here. And she was like, oh, I'm so sorry. I thought you were Vietnamese. One, why does that make me automatically a waitress if I was a Vietnamese person? And two, I am not Vietnamese. I'm sorry. Um, And, uh, you know, I mean, that's that's just funny anecdote. Uh, But the biggest thing that I have found to be most offensive is uh, when people tell me, you know, go back to your country. Um, It hasn't been in the most um, offensive way for the most part. People joke about it and it's like, oh, my gosh, so you're ridiculous. Go back to your country or whatever. Um, Well, that's a really, really interesting thing for you to say, because where is my country, right? I lived most of my life in this country in the U.S. now, right? I moved here when I was 12. I'm 26. Um, You know, and so like that brings in the whole point about, you know, when people ask me, where are you from, right? And I'm like, uh, are you asking me about where I live right now in St. Louis or, you know, where I went to college in New Orleans or um, where I grew up in New Mexico? Or are you asking me where I was born or, you know, like that, that's just a really, really tough question for me to answer. And I think a lot of immigrants uh, feel the same way where they're, you know, their identity isn't about where they're quote unquote from, right? We have our ethnicities, we have our ancestral ethnicity and our backgrounds, but that doesn't necessarily make it our home. That makes sense. So I can jump in next if you don't mind, Paul. Um, for me, it wasn't, it wasn't too blatant. I think that's probably because I was a bit combative growing up in this country. <laughs> um, so growing up in the Bronx, you had to have tough skin, right? Um, coming to America seems to be a hot movie at that time. So every line, every joke in that movie was, you know, has been used on me, right? So you had to grow tough skin for it. You had to, you had to start learning how to, how to return fire, right? Whenever you, 
you start getting hit in all directions. So it came in waves for me, right? So when I when I first came here, um, again, I had a very strong accent, but I spoke Queens English. Um, but my Black Americans were the ones that were actually kind of saying some discriminatory things, right? That were making jokes and, and very offensive things. And that actually got to me more just because I felt like these are my people. Like, you guys are supposed to have my back. You guys are not supposed to be the one putting me down. And I feel like I was going through that and I just came to this country and I didn't understand it, right? I mean, in the 90s, 95, 96, they were asking me if we had homes in Africa, if we lived on trees, and if we chased animals. I mean, this is real stuff, guys. I'm not making this up. This is real. They did not believe. They didn't know how I got it. Like, you actually got on a plane? This, this plane that flies in and out of These are African-Americans. African-Americans are, are telling me this. But then when I started, you know, leaving the Bronx, when I went to, 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 to college again, um, that was my first experience um, actually being in a predominantly white, white school and stuff like that, um, studying engineering. Um, then it became a little bit more, more covert, right? So it was more like, you cannot enter this party. Or sorry, we're full when I see my white counterparts being able to get access in. I'm like, what, what do you mean it's full? Or, you know, get cops called on you or, or get pulled over and say, you look familiar, right? So it's some of those subtle things, like, what does that mean? But like, no one used the N word in front of me because again, like I said, growing up, you know, I, I think I should, I should have drew a little bit closer to God. I was a lot more combative than I should have. So people didn't really push the, the envelope too much because I just wasn't going to stand for that. So again, it was a lot more covert with, with my, with my uh, Caucasian, but with my, with my African-American, it was very direct and it was actually very, it was more painful than, than, than coming from, from, from a white American. Um, yeah, so <clears throat> I don't think that I ever experienced any direct racism either. Um, the only things that I can remember growing up and, and even now still a little bit, uh, will be like little comments that people make. Like I'm, I'm Mexican, but I am fair skinned. My hair isn't super duper dark. And so people, it doesn't even matter if they were white or not. It could be Hispanics. It could be um, other races, but they would always be like, oh my gosh, I had no idea you were Mexican because you're not dark. And I'm like, okay. Or they would be like, oh my gosh, wait, if I'm white, why am I darker than you? They would say things like that. And it's like, I don't, clearly it's our education system that teaches them that Mexicans have to be dark skinned and dark haired because that's not true. The majority of Hispanics and Mexicans that I meet don't look like that. So it was really frustrating for me um, because it was like, I didn't even feel Mexican sometimes. I'm like, oh, I must not be Mexican because all these people say I don't look like it. Um, but those are the really the only main things that I experienced growing up. You talked about our educational system, Annette. Um, that's the same educational system that said slaves were paid, right? <laughs> that they weren't forced from the continent and brought to America to work in inhumane conditions. The same education system that allowed textbooks to be printed and to teach the future that slaves were paid. So yeah, if we can't educate ourselves, we can't rely on an educational system to teach us the right thing. I hate to say it. That's real. And keeping, keeping up with the school system, like racism looks like, I'm mad that I didn't really learn about Juneteenth until this year. I'm going to be honest. I didn't, I didn't know about that. Um, I had to go and Google things like Black Wall Street. Like, I, I didn't learn about that. 
growing up in Mississippi, I want to, I respect, and that's part of my history in Matilda, but I want to know more about that. I want to know about the Harlem Renaissance and what the black people was doing up there in Harlem, man. And so, and so I can be, as a pastor, as a Christian, I can be very gracious. And so I want to kind of throw the question back at y'all. Uh, in some of those instances, do you think that maybe it was more of something being stereotypical or maybe of something more being their ignorance and just not knowing or in some cases, was it just actual racism? Like more specifically, Sylvia, like the the example you use, like the lady, like um, the lady at the restaurant assumed that you worked there because it was at a an Asian place, and we already talked about there's a lot of diversity under that phrase of Asian. Do you think it was just ignorance, and she just saw another Asian face and was like, you know, maybe she worked here, like, or you think it was racism? Your honest opinion. Well, that's funny because you know, um, people say. Um, white people don't know, uh, what each Asians look like when there's specific differences between different ethnic groups within Asian culture and Asians can obviously tell. Uh, yeah, I'm not sure if it's a uh, racism or stereotyping or what, but, um, yeah, I, I'm not sure. Um, but I'm sure the intention was good, right? She just wanted to get her water. But um, I, I don't know. I think it's um, interesting that sh- the comment that she said afterwards, right? Like, I thought you work here because you're a Vietnamese. I think that's the part that matters, right? It's not about me looking like Vietnamese. It's more that she thought, you know, if you're a Vietnamese person enjoying Vietnamese food in this restaurant, you know, it's, it's, it's probably not because you're a patron, but because you're, you're working here. So. Hey, Hey Paul, let me throw this in, Paul. You and I live two blocks away from each other, Paul. Mm -hmm. My mom walked up and down champions park every day. She goes back and forth, back and forth, all the way to the chase bank, all the way down to the clubhouse. There's a woman that she sees every day and, you know, socially distanced, they say hello to each other. She's been seeing this woman for months. And then all of a sudden she decided to kind of draw up enough courage to ask my mom a couple of weeks back to say, I mean, how, it's just an idiotic question. She asked the first thing that came out of my mouth, like, Hey, do you live in the apartment buildings up there? Like, why, mm, why don't you just ask, Hey, do you live in this neighborhood? Right. Where around here do you live? That's a, that's a more of a sensible question. So when you ask your question is, is it lack of, of knowledge? Is it discrimination? Is it racism? I, I don't know what to choose any of that. I think it's just idiotic. It's like, why would you ask that? Is it because she's black? Is that the only reason why you believe that this black woman, there is no way she can live in one of these nice properties? She must. She must live in an apartment. And if, even if she did, let her tell you that. You shouldn't be the one guessing where they live. Exactly. And transparent moment about walking, like ever since the Ahmad Albert, the Ahmad situation, like I don't walk and jog in the neighborhoods. I'm 30 years old, but my mom was like, I know you're grown, but I would feel comfortable if you would just go and walk and jog at like public places. And this, so this transparent moment is something I'm working through. And not just because of that incident, but because of how, you know, various races responded to that um, incident. Man, thank you so much for tuning in. This has been an eye opening 
thought-provoking conversation. Please tune in for tomorrow, part three. In this segment, we're going to focus a little bit more on cultural insensitivity. We're going to talk about jokes that aren't funny. And my friends here, they're just going to share more of their experiences. Please share this episode with your friends and your family and get this message out so they can be in and learn more about culture, diversity, and inclusion.